Hello and welcome to the Not-So-Glorious Life Podcast. I'm your host, Shelly V. We're here to talk about real stories with real people and get to the real truth as to what we all go through. We all know that we've been there, we've done that, we've had this dip, we've gone through some rough times. But you know what? We're here to shed some light on it. We're here to talk about it and the stigma and hopefully we can learn of the possibilities that are available to us so we can overcome it. We can't wait to see you on the other side. What's up, Glorious fam? So excited to speak to our guest today, Kitty Wu. She is a holistic health coach based out of the Metro DC area, and she has overcome so many ethnic and cultural challenges in her life, but is not letting that stop her. She's actually turned it around and is now serving influential women of color and showing them how to show up powerfully in their life. Mm. Yes, yes. Juicy, juicy. So excited to hear about this and learn a little bit more about her. So let's go. Let's dive in. All right. So Kitty Wu, so tell me about you. Yeah. So I'm a holistic health coach. Um, Specifically, I specialize in serving high achieving women of color. Basically, I teach them how to integrate health into every area of life in order to overcome, you know, performance anxiety and just be able to experience deeper fulfillment in life. Amazing. I love that idea. That whole, the whole situation, right? The whole thing is super awesome. So what got you into doing this? Yeah. So it's actually funny how I started my coaching journey. Um, A year and a half ago, I actually started out in fitness coaching. And so basically people had been approaching me for years, you know, asking me, um, oh, can you train me, start a meal prep service? Because I had been into strength training for a number of years. Um, And I grew up like, you know, super skinny, stick thin. So I was like on a curve gaining journey at one point in my life. And then later on, you know, I went through really bad job hunt, serious depression, and I went on a weight gain journey as well. Right. So I had to lose the weight. So I kind of understood where women came from, from both ends of the spectrum. Okay. And so, you know, after people asked me, I was like, you know what? Let me just use my expertise to help other women. And I didn't want to go around chasing people in gyms. So (laughs) (laughs) I decided to do online fitness coaching. Um, So that's kind of how I got my feet wet in coaching. But then as the year went on, I realized, wow, you know, this is having a big impact on women's lives in other areas as well, not just their physical health. Um, they were talking to me about the experience that they've seen in their like, families, right? Like their spouses were starting to adopt healthy habits. Like their families could just tell that they were just happier, had more joy overall. And so I think fitness coaching really opened the doorway for me to be able to have a deeper level of impact. That's why I transitioned to holistic health. I really wanted to do way more, you know, for people's lives. And it was also the result of me going through my own inner work and healing journey, realizing like, hey, going back to, you know, my childhood, exploring my past, I realized a lot of my childhood wounds, some of my deepest pains were tied to my experience of growing up a woman of color and just some of those experiences that created certain limiting beliefs, right, that I was like unconscious of for most of my life yeah, that held me back from my full potential, right? in adulthood. So I was just thinking, wow, how many other women of color you know, go through the same types of things? And so that's where I really felt called to just step up and transition my coaching to serve in this way, especially in the holistic health coaching space. I think there's a huge gap for meeting the unique needs of women of color. Yeah. So how would you say that like the needs of women of color would be different from others? So like, what are like the main things that you'd like to focus on that helps? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, what was really insightful for me was my own experience, because a lot of us come from 
you know, we're second generation, right? We have immigrant parents who've come here. And I think a lot of our cultures focus so much on like high performance because like our parents who came here, you know, just to prove themselves able to stay in the country, they had to prove themselves uh, based on their achievements, right? On their professional success, career success, and their work. And so that like mentality, I think they pass it down throughout the generations, right? And we're just taught that uh, basically that, you know, your achievements is kind of like your worth and your value. And so that's where I see a lot of like intracultural pressure in the women who grow up. Um, and then as well as I think just by virtue of being a minority, right? A lot of times we find ourselves in situations where there's more pressure because we know that like, hey, everyone else might be seeing me as representing my whole you know, ethnic group or my culture. So it's like I have to work extra hard, right? Sometimes for the same opportunity, even if I want to stand out, it's like I have to work twice as hard. And it's like, sometimes feel that pressure of just, oh, I got to represent my entire race. What's everyone else right going to think of? Yeah. And so I think just facing both of those pressures, right, outside of our culture and just within as well, creates like a lot of women who just feel immense pressure that they have to just succeed in everything they do. And a lot of them do, right, grow up to be super successful. But I think because we are in high performance load all the time, we just pack our schedules in a attempt to avoid this unconscious stress and anxiety that's like always in the background right which obviously hinders our health from being you know at the highest potential it could be yeah absolutely i mean it definitely makes sense right like that pressure to perform that pressure to be the per- the best right to show up every time and always be the one who is on point and ready and is ready to go yeah and then going from that in your family life and your career right it's just like these constant pressures that are on you so you had talked about feeling depressed and like you just went, you had to go through the inner work. When you say like, what was causing that? Was like, was it just like you were just sad? Were there other emotions attached to that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think the point where you know, I was at the lowest value in my life, that was actually in 2018, but that's a couple of years ago. And I think a lot of it was just going through like job time was taking, you know, longer than I thought, but a lot of it was also tied to self-worth too, because yeah. like when externally, right, I wasn't professionally succeeding at that point in my life and so I felt like wow you know I'm just such a loser and like because so much of my self-worth was tied to like my achievements Mm -hmm. right and for me that belief of I am what I have right yeah and so I felt like hey if I don't you know have a certain amount of material success then it affected the way that I saw myself and so that's ultimately what I think was responsible for just going through such a low you know allowing myself to get so low you know experience a lot of sadness, depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can definitely understand that, right? Because I mean, yes, from a cultural background, right? It's definitely more mm-hmm. pressure, right? But I feel like a lot of people have that, right? They have this standard mm-hmm. of that they, just what their parents have accomplished or their siblings have accomplished. And mm-hmm. they, they, that having to live up to and being like, okay, well, if I don't have this, I'm not this, right? But it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with that, right? If you have to be something before you can get something, right? So like... Mm-hmm. So what really helped you get through that? Like, what exactly was it that you did to get yourself from, it was 2018, it was a few years ago, to now, like, what kind of work did you have to do to get past that, I need that material success to feel successful? Yeah, I mean, initially, I think it was just, you know, I let myself stay there for a while, right, for several months. But it was a couple of things. I think, one, it was important to just have, like, a good support system. I know friends, especially family, right, my parents are super supportive but just allowing myself to be supported. And even if you didn't always feel like talking to people, right? 
reaching out for help. Um, and then two, I think was just reestablishing like really small steps that I could be consistent at. Okay. Because I know for a while I had to stop going to the gym, right? Which I used to love so much, but it was just telling myself that, hey, you know, if I want to pull myself out of this, I have to take some sort of different action, you know, whether it's as small as it is, right? So just starting to get myself back into the gym, into that routine, eventually, you know, I was able to pull myself out of that. And I'm grateful to God as well, right? Like for me, I just did spend some time praying and a lot of people were praying for me. Um, and it's something I feel like I could not have done myself, right? It's just pull myself out of that with my own human strength. Yeah. But then, yeah, like later on, I avoided inner work for like most of my life because like I didn't think it was necessary. And so I think it's like a lifelong process for me. Yeah. Right. Like I've gotten a lot better with my self-worth and realizing that, okay, like, you know, I am what I have. Doesn't That's not true. Right. That doesn't define me. Yeah. So doing a lot of like journaling, meditation, something that I do on a consistent basis. So something I'm still working through. And I feel like it's a lesson. Like once we consciously know something, it's not like, oh, we're just done. Right. It's like the inner work stops. Something yeah. I'm constantly having to do and just reteach myself. Yeah, I, th- I think it's very interesting that you say that, right? Because a lot of people, I feel like they just, I want this tool, I want this fix, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just going to like, poof, it's just going to be good. It's going to be okay then, right? And it's not going to ever need work again. But it really is. And I say like your life is like seasons, right? Like mm-hmm. you, have these ups, you have these ups and downs. And you're also, new things are always going to be coming up for you. Like the more inner work you do, the deeper you get and you're like, oh, Oh, right. It, like, it's a good journey and it keeps going. I don't really think it's honestly ever something that you ever completely overcome, right? Because there's always new things that you're learning and you're growing into for you to process and work through. Right. So when you say like holistic health, so exactly mm-hmm. what it is, what is it that you do? Mm-hmm. A lot of people wonder what holistic health is. And the way I define it, and I teach my clients that it's a multifaceted, right? We obviously focus on, okay, physical health, right? Mental, emotional, spiritual, and relational, I would say are the five big areas um, that I consider a part of it. Um, But a lot of it focuses mostly on, I would say, mental, emotional, spiritual, because I found that transformation is like the most complete. And I think that it never is complete unless we start from the inside out, right? Physical health, like your fitness, for example, it's like, yeah, we could do all these routines and stuff. But if we don't change our identity to someone who like chooses these healthy habits because it's something we love and want to do and it's part of who we are, then what's the point, right? At that point, we're just like forcing external discipline and habits. So I think it's just important to like make sure we're aligned. Everything we do, we're doing because it's like a natural byproduct of who we are. And so what my work looks like is just focusing on inner work, right? Like I'll give clients journaling prompts sometimes. If they're new to it, I'll teach them my breath work, some meditation. And a lot of my work focuses focuses on somatic work as well, because a lot of people, I think, don't realize that, well, our emotions, our thoughts, right, our body, they're all connected. And so a huge thing that I focus on my work is teaching emotional self-regulation. So just growing self-awareness of like physical sensations in the body when we're feeling certain things and just how to use our bodies as well to be able to heal from past traumas. And to be able to change like how we're actually feeling as well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And that makes a lot of sense, you know, because it's like 
people start workouts all the time, right? And mm -hmm. every new year, my new year resolution and da, 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 right? I don't make new year's resolution. I pick a word for the year, right? But uh -huh. a lot of people, they pick for new year's resolutions, right? Well, I'm going to work out. But mm -hmm. then, then there's nothing behind it, right? It's just like, I can choose to work out. But honestly, like, I have some inner things I have to do about my, my working out because I'm that person. I'll do the mm -hmm. routine and I'm like, okay, but, but what's the meaning behind the routine? And I, that, that actual connectedness. Where do you think the lack is between like, I'm going to do this routine, right? Because it's going to make me feel better and I know it's going to benefit me. But then yet I don't have the mindset. Where is that disconnect? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the disconnect is, um, I think it comes from actually people like lack of understanding. Okay. And so people think of it in the wrong order, right? Just the cycle of how everything works. So people think that, okay, I have to like do certain thing, right? Let's say for example, even in fitness, right? Like, all right, I have to like go to the gym, right? Be a gym rat or whatever in order to have the body of my dreams, mm -hmm. right? In order to be that confident woman I want to be. Yeah. So they think of it in terms of like, all right, do first and then have and then be. But in reality, I think that's, um, it all starts with your way of being and who you choose to be, right? Because think about it, if you choose to be someone who really loves herself, right, really wants to take care of herself, and she has that worth already, even if she doesn't have the body yet, then that naturally influences what you do, which will ultimately result in the body of your dreams, right, that you want or your healthiest state. Um, so I think fundamentally, it's just a lack of like understanding, right, about okay, the law natural laws like how things actually work yeah and part of that longevity journey right it's more than just just going and doing the process mm -hmm. right because you can tell people all day well just be confident just be confident right and it's just like well right. how do you be confident right i feel like people are really afraid to feel especially mm -hmm. nowadays right because their fear of the pain and i get it right like you do the inner work things that come up aren't always the best things right mm -hmm. <laughs> they come up and they make you realize like oh Okay. And sometimes you can dip a little lower when you start doing that kind of work. And I don't think people realize that, mm -hmm. right? But con coinciding that work with, okay, well, I'm feeling really good today and I'm feeling like I'm going to be amazing no matter what I do. Now I'm going to go to the gym and kill that workout, right? So like to really start with the mindset is written the mindset and the emotion is really what it seems like it's more of your holistic approach. Is that, is that my understanding, right? Yeah. yeah, pretty much starting by, you know, helping my clients choose, okay, you know, what types of traits they want to embody. Yeah. And so like one thing, for example, that I do every year is just pay, pick five words, right? Basically five characteristics that I want to embody this year. And then I choose to be that person, right? The rest awesome. of the year. That's something I encourage my clients as well. Basically starting like, who do you want to be? And then from there, we move on to, okay, what are the action steps, right? That you can take to actually start convincing your mind that, hey, I actually believe this is who I am. Yeah. Right. In order to have the results um, they ultimately want. Now, you had said you had struggled when you were younger because you said you were you were very skinny. Right. When you were younger, like, did you did you face mm -hmm. like bullying and different kind of things from that? Because, you know, like I grew up like a heavy child. So from the opposite spectrum mm -hmm. where I have seen people who were made fun of because they were incredibly small. Right. So it's like either or. So what kind of things came up from that? Do you feel like some of the stresses and emotions that you dealt with then carried through to now or? to your point where you were at in 2018? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I was, you know, made fun of for sure. You know, people were like, oh, you're like stick thin, you know? Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I think what was most impactful, what affected me more was actually being made fun of just for my race and how I looked. 
as a child. So as early as, and I talk about it um, sometimes on social media, but I think as early as like elementary school, I was like six years old. I remembered sitting in the car line after school waiting for my mom to pick me up. And there were a couple girls in front of me and they just started, you know, gesturing and um, just been really condescending, you know, pulling their eyes through the slid and just pointing and laughing. And yeah, and it was interesting because in that moment, I remember certain emotions I felt and it was just, I felt really um, rejected and just small, you know, insignificant, kind of powerless. Yeah. But it was interesting that the way I responded was I actually chose to basically keep a straight face and just completely ignore them. Okay. And I just refused to show any emotion because to me, I'm like, all right, well, if I show emotion, if I show my vulnerability, then they kind of get the upper hand, yeah. right? And they know that I'm hurt. But even though I was really hurt, I didn't want to show it. And it's funny because how I chose to respond when I was six years old affected me all the way in my adulthood. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like even in my adulthood, that's something, you know, expressiveness is something that I struggle with. Um, Sometimes being vulnerable with my feelings. And that was like the first time I recalled, you know, for no reason, right? That's just how I chose to respond. Yeah. And so I think it's in those moments, like stuff like that has really affected me. It's like, okay, how we choose to respond, like from these emotional wounds in childhood affects how we show up as an adult oh, yeah. and like mostly in our relationships and how we communicate and connect with other people, which is all part of relational health, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I can understand that. I mean, feeling insignificant and powerless and for being so young and feeling those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. has to have some kind of deeper, deeper feeling, right? And deep, deeper impact mm-hmm. as you grow up. Because now like you say, you, you, you struggle to express that. And I can understand why. Right. Because it's like, well, if I do express that, I'm going to be made fun of. If I do mm-hmm. do that, they're going to say something. So if I just don't show that, I can just avoid that whole feeling altogether. And it's the same thing. Like when I was younger, right, it was like I was the ADHD kid who was running around always mm-hmm. loud. It's like, well, sit down, be quiet. Right. Mm-hmm. So now this journey of finding my voice has been a process because I'm like, well, every time I speak up and one listens or they tell me to be quiet or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So now it's showing up in a different light. And it's like, OK, well, I never realized you know, for being a kid uh-huh. where it was like, just be, just be quiet, just be quiet has actually internalized as I'm older. Because now I'm just like, well, why am I struggling? Just kind of going out there and putting it out there. Well, it's like, oh, well, because you have that fear of rejection, you, you have that, you, everyone wants to feel significant. Everyone wants to feel like they mm-hmm. have, they have some kind of reason for being and they want to be accepted. Who doesn't mm-hmm. want to feel that? So it's interesting right. that it stems from some, from when we were so young. Mm-hmm. Mine started when I was four years old. So you're saying six years mm-hmm. old. And that's something you carry for so long. Now, what kind yeah. of help? Like, let's say you were to get some kind of help for those little for those little ones. What do you think would have helped you when you were that little girl mm-hmm. feeling that way back then? Mm-hmm. What's something that you that someone could have said to you or someone could have shown you like how to process that that would have made you feel better? That would have helped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. It's hard to say, I guess, because um, to some extent, right, I think there is never going to be adequate, right, help to obviously cover all those pains yeah. um, and teach us how to process. I think most kids, right, in most families, it's like we're not taught how to deal with these difficult emotions yeah. and deal with other people hurting us. Um, but at the time, you know, somebody had came to me and encouraged me to, like, speak up for myself. 
it also assured me that, you know, your feelings are completely valid and there's nothing wrong with like feeling hurt. All part of the human experience. I think to experience joy, we have to experience sorrow. Just like how everything exists, the law of polarity. There's no light without darkness and vice versa. Yeah. But yeah, looking back like, at that experience, I wish someone had told me that. I wish I had told myself that because I realized I think if I had spoken up, I would probably have felt a lot better, right? And been more at peace. Right. Just even if it just like, it brings you, yeah, some kind of peace, like some kind of like, well, you guys can't talk to me like that. I won't accept that for myself. Mm-hmm. I feel like when people say like to kids, stand up for yourself, they automatically go to like a fight or flight response, right? Like I have to fight to stand up for myself. And that's not the case. Like your words have just as much power. Right. And and it's really your internal that you're trying to help with your standing up for yourself, saying, I'm not going to accept someone treating me like that. You can say what you want, but it doesn't impact me. Mm-hmm. Really like showing that. I mean, I mean, if we could get that into the children, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine how many, how many kids are currently feeling like that because bullying has taken such a huge uptick Mm-hmm. from when we were younger, right? And if there's more, th- there, people are more aware of it now, right? But I feel like mm-hmm. a lot more kids are, are aware of it, but they're still not giving, the, giving them the tools to actually help handle it. Mm-hmm. So would you say that those feelings that you felt when you were younger, mm-hmm. now you've, you've learned how to master that, you're feeling better with that, or do you still deal with those kind of emotions and situations? Yeah, I mean, I think in the same emotions definitely come up. Um, sometimes, but I think that, you know, emotions ultimately are stored in our body as memories. So it's like our body remembers those things, right? So like, I've never been in the exact same situation, but there's definitely been other situations in which my body kind of reminds me of something similar, right? I was reminded of the event by people, um, whether it's being someone being condescending or, you know, I feel like they're, oh, you know, man, you know, is objectifying me, whatever, as an Asian woman, whatever. So similar feelings do come up, right? And I think that while I've gotten a lot better at handling them, I think the um, most notable way it shows up is just by how I overcompensate, which is, again, like also why I gravitated towards helping high-achieving women of color. I think a lot of it is because of those childhood experiences in which we were made to feel insignificant and small as children. Naturally, we're going to try to overcompensate for that, right? And just become everything that was the opposite of how we were made to feel. Yeah. Pursuing a lot of achievements um, because, hey, I want to feel significant. I want to just kill it in everything I do, everything for everybody so that I never have to feel that way again. Yeah. And I think it just manifests the most in like, and I used to struggle with this, call myself like a recovering high performer. (laughs) Um, I think I always, you know, will be to some extent, but I've learned to slow down a lot. Like I used to literally pack my schedule, you know, work so many hours a day at the expense of my own health to where I was exhausted, but you know, you just keep adding more things to the schedule, right? In an effort to feel more productive. Yeah. And so I think that's ultimately how it affected me. No, I mean, I definitely understand it, right? Because still, I feel the same way, right? It's like you're always kind of packing your schedule. You're always having to do something and it you just it's like a constant battle. So what do you do now that helps you the most control that overcompensation? One of the most helpful things that helped me start to learn to slow down is for me slowing down, resting is just by nature like really difficult. And so it was actually just incorporating daily meditation every morning. Okay. Right. Just practicing a simple, you know, awareness of my thoughts. And in the beginning, when I did it, it's like my thoughts would just be racing at 100 miles per hour because that was like the speed I was used to operating, (laughs) right? 
Yeah. And before that, I would even have insomnia because I just like couldn't shut my brain off at night. Yeah. Um, but after just consistency, you know, starting with like just 10 minutes a day visualization um, and just being a third party observer of my thoughts, eventually they started to slow down. And so because my thoughts were slowing down and it's, I was able to create more space in my schedule and just intentionally build in breaks. I go out for more walks and just schedule less. But definitely yeah. it was difficult at first and I had to be super intentional about it. So when you first started that, because I know a lot of people are like, oh, like meditations, that fluffy, fluffy, mindful stuff, right? <laughs> like people like dis- just disregard it so much. And when I first started doing it too, and I'm still working on getting to a better place with it, I'm still, it's still new <laughs> for me, right? And especially someone with an ADHD mind, it's like, it's like okay, that settling <laughs> moment where it's, the thoughts just stop is hard. Mm-hmm. How did you build up to that and like and really keep a consistent practice? I started with just 10 minutes a day. And I said I did that for like a month, month and a half before upping it by, you know, five minutes. And then eventually the goal, right, was to get to okay, half an hour a day. Okay. But for me, especially I think knowing like the type of learner you are is important. Yeah. So like for me, I'm a kinesthetic and visual dominant learner. Okay. And so knowing that, I was like, okay, then. I did a visualization technique, right? And so for me, I really like to visualize like a stream. And also the actual stream that I knew in real life. Okay, right? that, that makes I it easier. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. Some, someone I associated with like relaxation, fun, you know, rest. So I visualized that and I just picture my thoughts as like leaves moving down the river. And That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then like once they go around the bend, just practice releasing those thoughts. So that's like also a small way to practice letting go, practice surrender, and just being intentional, right? Not necessarily controlling your thoughts, but just getting really curious about them and be like, oh, you know, that's interesting that this thought passed through my mind today. Yeah, definitely. I like the idea of thinking of a place you actually know, right? Because sometimes like, and I know when people start out meditating, right? They'll like, oh, they'll YouTube it, right? And it's like a quick <laughs> five minute YouTube, right? It's like, oh, visualize this and visualize this. And and if you're a beginner, right, it's hard to visualize those things because you don't have you don't have that picture. Right. So for someone to start off with somewhere that, you know, imagine somewhere you actually know so you can envision it. Right. And it makes it a lot easier. Um, Very interesting. So what would you say like your top tip is to your clients to really help them bridge a gap? Um, You mean as far as meditation or? Um. Yeah, to like really get them to that where they can actually experience the benefit. Mm-hmm. Well, for starters, a lot of them right, are newer to meditation. So I always tell them like the point of meditation is to not just like do it, you know, because I told you or to check, you know, checkbox to-do list, right? Yeah. Especially for high achievers, it can be easy to just like put it on your schedule every day as just something so you can feel more accomplished that, hey, I did it. Yeah, there's another thing to your list, of course. Right, so that's the <laughs> danger, right? I'm kind of assigning yeah. that to high achievers. Um, but I just tell them it just starts with setting a specific intention. And especially for beginners, I just recommend just the goal here is, you know, to just start with awareness. So just mental yeah. awareness, thought awareness. And so basically I just tell them, you know, just observe your thoughts. Don't try to control them. Don't try to change them. And just, you know, be okay with, right? Whether thoughts are positive, whether they're negative, just let them be and just, just watch them go by yeah, I think that's incredibly important, right? Because they do sometimes, especially when you first start, they just keep going. They just mm-hmm. keep coming and they just it's like, okay, well, I'm not doing this right. No, it's okay. Just bring yourself back. 
right? right. It's okay to like get lost in it, but come back to it. And you're at least you're being aware of it. And you're bringing yourself back. You got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Very cool. Well, please tell people where they can find you. Yes. So I am pretty active on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is Kitty Woo Coaching. That's one word. Um, I'm also on Facebook. Just look up Kitty Woo. And on LinkedIn as well. So same name. Oh, LinkedIn as well. Okay, good. I just got uh-huh. on there. I don't know that animal yet, but I'm I'm uh-huh. going to be learning that animal. So we'll, it's, it's interesting. We'll have to connect. Yes, <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for hanging out and having the conversation. It was definitely cool to see, like, see some of the background of where it comes from and what you're doing. So congratulations to you and kudos to you for stepping up for, for all that you are and doing what you're doing. Thanks so much, Shelly. I've yeah, really enjoyed our conversation. I um, yeah. appreciate all you do as well and appreciate the opportunity to just hop on here and chat with you today. Thank you so much for listening to another great episode, fam. And as usual, my key takeaways from this episode, one, speak up for yourself. Two, learn to be okay with who you're being rather than what you've accomplished. Three, the people that we live with and the culture that we grew up in has a huge impact on the pressures and expectations we put on ourselves. And honestly, it's time for that to stop. We need to slow down and we need to unpack that and realize how much of those past things that we set for ourselves are impacting us in our life today. And lastly, the things that you accomplish and the things that you have aren't what make you worthy. You are worthy just the way you are. You're worthy of love just the way you are. And I hope you know that. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Thank you so much for being here. And make sure you reach out to Kitty Wu if you think she's someone who can help you. And that's another episode of the Not So Glorious Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe, join our community on Facebook, and get the reminder you need at agloriouslife.com. Thank you so much for being here and being you. I love you. And you're meant to be in this world. Don't you ever forget it. I'll see you next week.